Hello, everybody. Welcome back to JavaScript Jabber, the podcast about JavaScript. We jabber about it. My name is Steve Edwards, the host with the face for radio and the voice for being a mime, but I'm still your host. And flying with me today on our panel, we have the lovely and erudite Mr. AJ. How you doing, AJ? Uh, I don't know what erudite means. I forgot what it means too, but it sounded really good. Well, I hope it's not like racist or something. Gosh. No, no, no. It's a good thing, I think. It's a good thing? Okay, great. Wait, wait. that's that's not character for you, Steve. Anyway, yo, yo, yo. I'm Coming at you live from Pioneer Back Pain. Pioneer Back Pain. That means AJ hurt his back and he doesn't know how he did it. So it's very pioneering. Well, it's Pioneer Day. Oh, yeah, you wouldn't know about Pioneer Day because it's a Utah thing. Yeah. So it's Pioneer Day. And yesterday I was I was uh, doing some work on my trailer, and I, I think that when I was maybe when I was lifting the front of it to to prop it up so that I could get underneath of it or I, I don't know, but then I got then I got back pain. I woke up this morning and it just hurts. So hence pioneer back pain. Because yeah, tra- was... trailer's like a cart, it's like a hand cart or a carriage. Okay, I'll take your word for it. Yeah. Yeah, AJ was reminding me of something about knowing about being old. I'm not sure why he was referencing that with me. <clears throat> but yeah, I was standing in my bedroom yesterday, stretching a little bit, and felt my back go. So yeah, that was fun. Anyway, moving on from back pain, let's welcome our guest, Mr. Julian. How do you say that? Klepach? Klepach? Yeah, yeah, congrats. Yeah, he's very hot. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So Julian is French, calling us from... Taiwan. So we, as I like to say, we are truly an international podcast. So start out, Julian, why don't you give us a little background about what you do, who you are, why you're famous, and uh, we'll go from there. All right. So yes, Julian from Interblogs. Some of you may know me already. Um, So I'm... uh, I have a YouTube channel about Web3 development. So I teach uh, things like Solidity, uh, Ethereum, smart contract programming, uh, that sort of thing. Um, and yeah, I've uh, started my career in finance and became a dev. And then in, in 2017, I caught the crypto bug and uh, started my YouTube channel at that time. And uh, and I, I switched to uh, to teaching uh, Web three full time uh, a few years later, and uh, yeah, so this is what I do. So you're telling us before we started recording a little more detail about your history. So you said you started in Hong Kong in finance, is, is that right? Which is that's pretty. That was a world real probably still is a real world financial center, right? One of the places yeah. to be if you want to work in international finance. Yeah, yeah, it was just an internship at first, and uh, yeah, I extended it, and I ended up staying three years there. Uh, yeah, well, it was really amazing uh, at that time. Like that place was uh, just so active; it was like just amazing. And yeah, I I got a little bit tired of finance, and so decided to come here to Taiwan. I just wanted to learn Chinese. I didn't really know what I wanted to do after, and um, and at that time, I met some. Uh, a bunch of interesting guys, including some guys, some uh, uh, so-called digital nomads. I mean, at that time, that was something new, and they basically sold me the dream. Um, and this is how I decided to just give up on finance and just uh, start to learn a software dev. And so I started like everybody else by uh, 
with a shitty customer. I was uh, with PHP and WordPress. And, uh, <laughs> and so first few years were not easy. Uh, but fortunately for me, uh, I encountered uh, crypto in 2017, and that's when everything changed. All right, tell us more. Why did it change? So good question. Um, I think I, you know, I, I thought I really struggled a lot to to get started in my career as a software dev at the beginning. Um, especially when when you're like a generalist and you you work in web dev, you are like in this uh, competing against so many different people and there are just so many different ways, so many so many kind of expertise and there are a lot of people who are already senior. And so ideally what you want to find is something new where there aren't a lot of senior people. So that the basically, if you specialize in this, it's, it's easier to stand out. And that was really the case with crypto. And I also really fell in love with the with the concept. Uh, so I thought, well, that's that's a good fit. And so what I did at that time is that instead of just learning uh, a new technical thing, I also created my YouTube channel. And thanks to that, everything changed because I got basically I built my personal brand and. I find my first remote job like very, very fast. So that was really the main thing that changed. So uh, for the topic today, the way you were putting it was, was it how to get into Web3 or why to get into Web3 or all of the above? Uh, I guess the question for me is considering the state of crypto and where things have been over the past few months, uh, why? You know, just for a little bit of recap, we've had the whole collapse of FTX with Sam Bankman Freed, and we've seen some other coins really tank just because, I mean, crypto is basically very speculative, right? Kind of what's the value, sort of like the stock market. And, you know, Bitcoins that were worth a ton of money have lost value. Um, so I guess my question would be, is it sort of like, you know, if you think about the stock market where you want to get in when it's low because you can't really go any lower and the only way it can go is up. Is that the reason or maybe there's other purposes that haven't been, um, how we say, explored or investigated yet? What's a, what would be what would you tell somebody if they said, why should I get into the Web3 world? Yeah, yes. Good question. So I would generally say, like, of course, the earlier you get in, the easier it is. So the more you wait, the, the harder it will get. But Yes, crypto. On top of this, crypto is very cyclical. Um, so when I started, it was just before a big bubble. Uh, so actually, my timing was perfect, um, and for me, it was quite easy to get in. And I don't think, like you said, expectation clearly. I don't think that an, a newbie would uh, um, would find a job as easily as I did. The market is a little bit more more difficult now, uh, but we are between two cycle. And we are probably at the end of a bear market or more or closer to the end than the beginning. And so you want to get in before the next bull market because when there is a bull market, everything happens just so fast. And you cannot just come in and say, oh, yeah, by the way, I was always a big fan of Web3. Uh, you need to show that you've done something before. Um, so that requires a leap of faith. Uh, that's true. But uh, I think. I think we've been really tested this year and last year. Like we've been tested like crazy, like you say, like FTX and like all the bad stuff that happened and like the SEC trying to get after crypto. And I think what's really interesting is that um, we we had this accumulation of bad news, 
But at some point, the market stopped to tank. And so, you know, there is a saying like, if you want to know where is the top of the bull market is when you have more good news that accumulate and the price stop to go up. And the bottom of the bear market is when you have more bad news and it stopped to go down. And I think it's what's happening now. And I started to see some, some rebound, like not only on the market, but also in terms of, of developer interest. Uh, I see like it's, it's coming back. So, so that's a good thing. Um, but I would say another thing very important to understand is like to also separate the, this cycle from the actual, um, uh, the, the, the cycle of the, the developer, uh, the developer who built things because these things aren't entirely correlated. And so during this bear market, we, we had a lot of activity on the developer side, especially when it comes to uh, infrastructure. And, you know, like one of the main technical challenge in Web3 is to make this blockchain scalable. And there was a lot of work that, that, that was done. And I think that either by the end of this year or uh, by next year, we would, in Web3, we will solve the problem of scalability. And that's huge. So how is this not an MLM? Because, <laughs> because you're, MLM no, because you're, not, you're, not saying, you're not saying, hey, this is what's going to make it usable. You're out of the gate. You're not saying, Hey, this is how we're going to solve an economic problem. Out of the gate, you're saying, if you want to make the money, you got to get in now. And that, yeah. that's just an MLM. So like, where's the utility? Yeah. So, yeah. so you're not asking how it's not an MLM in the sense that, Hey, I got to sell the downline to all my friends. You're saying MLM is in the sense that, you know, you kind of have to talk fast and sell easy to, <laughs> to get, to get people in. While it's still not really a business. Hold on, is that what out. you're asking? No, by MLM. On, MLM. Can we define MLM before we go on and everybody gets confused like me? Okay, yeah, so, so MLM, traditionally, go ahead. It, so MLM is where you create uh, an entity that the government will allow that does not have a product that anyone wants to buy, but you buy the product as part of becoming a manager so that you can then make the money off of other people who buy the product to become a manager. So the product is basically a scapegoat. There is no product. It's like granola bars that cost $10 a box that you can get for $3 a box at Walmart that are name brand granola bars for $3 a box, right? But the MLM granola bars are $10 a box. And you don't buy the granola bars because you're going to eat the granola bars or sell the granola bars. You buy the granola bars to become a manager. And when you're a manager, then other people who buy the granola bars, you get a percentage of their, their revenue. And that, that models the quote unquote crypto space for quote unquote investors is that investors, especially on Ethereum, they get some Ethereum and then they make a coin and then they get other people into the coin and then they can make another coin and they get people into that coin by trading the first coin. And so it's, it's the same thing as the granola bars. You've got a bunch of quote unquote coins. Nobody wants them. Nobody can use them, but you buy them so that you can then trade them for another coin and somebody else who's in the management group of that coin. And so you just have a bunch of coins where there's no value. No one's trading the coins for granola bars. No one's trading the coins for a house payment or groceries or fast food. Nobody's actually using the website BitRefill, 
which is a coin, uh, that's a website that you actually can use to actually spend a cryptocurrency rather than quote, invest in a cryptocurrency. But like, when I think of cryptocurrency in the, you know, the, the Satoshi Nakamoto sense, that's, I'm going to create something that we can spend, that we can create value by creating an economy versus the quote unquote investment, which is where you're going to invest in it so that you can be at the top of the coin hype. And then you can go create another coin to be at the top of that coin. Yeah. All right, I, yeah. I just want to throw something in here real quick. I have seen MLMs actually work and actually sell products that people wanted to buy. But yes, most of them, it was you got in fast, so you could get the biggest downline you could get so that you could sell more stuff to other people. So I, I just want to say the characterization fits a lot of them, but not all of them. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, no, it's a, it's a, it's a fair question. So, okay, so let me recap. Um, when I first got into crypto, um, I, the thing that really appeal, uh, appealed to me is um, Ethereum on the landing page was written, uh, we're building uh, a, a, the, the world a decentralized computer. I found that that was really awesome. And yeah, that's actually, a cool idea. Yeah, like I saw that and that that really what convinced me to get into it. And actually, it's funny because like for many years, I was so innocent. Like I was like the, the only crypto developer that didn't uh, uh, buy any crypto. Uh, for a long time, I, I not, it's, it's ridiculous. Like I, I could have gotten like really rich because I was really early, but I didn't buy any ether or something like this. And the the first time I started to own some crypto is because people bought my courses with crypto. So that's how I ended up owning crypto. But for a long time, I I didn't play this game. And and at some point, after spending several years in the industry, <laughs> it, it appears to me, I'm like, hey, Julian, like maybe you're a little bit naive and maybe there are like many people who get in the space and who just want to make money and have no no interest at all for, for the, the, the value of Web3. And um, so, and, and yeah, it, it, it pisses me off uh, at some point, but I just want to live with it. Like, I just think like whenever you have some uh, new innovation, something like this, it will always attract like many different people who may or may not share the, the same value uh, as you. And and also, I, I don't want to be too judgmental on that because for many people, it's not one thing or the other. Uh, it can I, I embrace the fact that we have different motivation. And it's cool if you say, okay, I, I share some value of Web3, but I also uh, uh, want to make money. It's it's fine. It's You don't have to be like pure and just go in one of these uh, other uh, one of these two directions um and talking of like the the mlm and like selling dreams but i want to say that isn't it what the 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 software industry is doing uh even outside of web3 for example when you have a founder that's trying to raise money from vc and and i know it very well because i was approached actually i had an investor so at the peak of uh of my business during the bull market there was an investor that invested in my company and and so that guy uh so he was very well connected and introduced me to to some vc and he helped me to write a story that would that would uh, prove that my business would like go up like crazy and and that's completely accepted in the business world. So mm-hmm. I just want people to not be naive and understand like a large part of the business world uh, works like this, like people who who sell stories. So so selling a story in itself, I don't think 
I don't think it's bad, but you have to really believe in the story, of course. Yeah. All right. So what I'm curious about, because it feels like we're talking about investing in cryptocurrencies. And <laughs> I'm, I'm not a financial expert. I'm not an investment expert. I think the whole idea behind a lot of this stuff is fascinating. And I think it's interesting how it became an investment class rather than a currency is also fascinating. But what I want to understand is Web3, right? Because you're talking about like blockchain, blockchain technologies as the successor to web technologies or used in conjunction with web technologies or something like that. And I don't completely understand what the story is with Web3. So, um, I mean, maybe maybe the crypto investment has something to do with it. Maybe it doesn't. But how, how does what we're talking about tie into what Web3 is? Like, where is this all yeah. going? Yeah, so so it's a good question. So so crypto has a special place in Web3 because that's the the main use case of Web3 right now. But uh, it doesn't mean it's going to be the the only use case. Um, and define Web3 that... then. Okay, yeah, so... that's what we need first. I think. Yeah, because I yeah. I mean I was thinking Web3 cryptocurrency is Web3, but you're saying there's Web3 and cryptocurrency is a use case. So yeah, yeah. what's what's the dealio? Okay, so Web3 is the idea of building decentralized applications, so application that nobody uh, in particular control. Uh, the, the idea of decentralization is really probably like the main idea of crypto. And um, the, main way, the main component of the Web3 app is uh, the, the, the blockchain layer, but not only. Uh, you can also use projects like IPFS, which are, are a decentralized storage network. Uh, they are decentralized, but they are not blockchain. Uh, but, but the core right. of it is like, is it, does it help my app to be more decentralized or not? Um, so, so yeah, so that's but just to clarify when people say DAPS, D-A-P-P-S, that's the decentralized app idea we're talking about, right? Yeah. 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 It's the same thing. Yeah. Okay. Um, and, and so, so with Web3, does that apply to things like Mastodon? Uh, so <laughs> must. <laughs> Um, I think Mastodon. Matrix. I, I think they. Yeah, because they're federated. They're not. I don't think a lot of Web3 people would consider this like real Web3 app. And also, I think like the admin have like way too much power. So it's like maybe in, like an attempt in this direction. But okay. Yeah. 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 And uh, but yeah. So so with Web3, like of course the main use case was to create all these these cryptocurrencies. But it's like so much more than this. Um and for example, social media. Uh, we had all these problems with uh, with censorship in the past. So that's an area where Web3 mm -hmm. can have actually this year. So uh, one of the few areas of Web3 that has traction is social media. So there are a few of them that you may not have heard, like uh, Lens, for example, uh, that are basically attempt to build new social media on the blockchain. But what's really interesting is, is when you do something in Web3, um, it, the, the paradigm change a little bit. It's not just you take an app and you make it in Web3. It's more like you build this layer that can be viewed as a common good. And you can use this layer to build different social media. Um, so, so the paradigm is a little bit different. So just to clarify that a little bit, how, how does the parad paradigm different? So is the social good like the collection of posts or tweets or whatever you want to call them? And that way, nobody has total control and so they can't censor it? Is is that kind of the way you're heading there? 
Yeah, yeah, you have the, this layer, this protocol where people post content and then you have different way to access them. And so you, it will be different app. Like you will have like maybe a Twitter that can be built on this, a Facebook or something else. But at right. no point that there will be someone who control the API and say, all right, uh, I'm not sharing the data anymore or oh, now you have to pay this much per month. Yeah. Right, so... So the app that I would build that is centralized, that consumes this uh, common good, there I could say, hey, I don't want porn, I don't want swear words or whatever, right? And and then as I, how I display it is how it goes. But if somebody wants the porn and the swear words, they can go to somebody who will put that up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh, yeah, introduces a lot of flexibility. And on the, the finance side, it's the same thing. So you have apps like Uniswap, which are basically decentralized exchange, uh, you can see them at like some sort of uh, decentralized mm-hmm. stock market, and and there uh, they provide an infrastructure, a base layer, and on top of this, we have many other projects that are, that, are, that are being built. So it's really a different way to to build software. Uh, it's much more open, much more uh, transparent, and you don't need anybody authorization. All right. So sorry, I, I, I feel like I got on and hogged the mic, but I, no, go I, ahead, AJ. I was just going to ask, so are there any examples that you can give of uh, a Web3 app that somebody would know? Like, for example, Mastodon uh, is is fully decentralized. It's completely federated. So I that at least fills that criteria, but or at least the way I understand that it is. Right, but, but each Mastodon server has an admin that can... And, and you can well, turn off right, federation right. And between instances and stuff like that. So it's not... It's not a social. It's not a common good that you're consuming, as far as the posts go. It's not. It's not 100. It's not centralized. It's not. Right. It's not centralized into a single node. It's right. decentralized such that each node can have its own set of rules, operate independently, and scale efficiently. But but anyway, my my point is, so most people don't know about Mastodon. If I were to ask my wife if she's got a Mastodon account, she might not even know what Mastodon means in the normal sense, right? Um, but but within a crowd, people know what Mastodon is. It's like, quote-unquote, Twitter decentralized. Is there some sort of app in Web3 where there's some sort of analogy? This is like X, but decentralized. Something where people could go to see it or download a thing to experience it. To, to have yeah. a sense of what that is. Yeah, so so I, I can give you a, a few names. Uh, I don't think, mo- I think most people will, will have never heard of, of these things. Uh, the, the thing that got the most mainstream during the last bull market was more the, the financial assets that you can buy with crypto. So uh, the tokens, uh, the NFTs, for example. Uh, so, But in terms of app, so some people might have heard of... Um, OpenSea, for example, is a decentralized market to buy and sell uh, NFTs. People might have heard of Uniswap, where you can buy and sell uh, crypto tokens. Um, is there so- anything for stuff that people already do? Like, like messaging is something people already do. It wasn't invented by, you know, it wasn't invented by Web2, right? People were already messaging back when we had horse and buggies. But but not not that I'm saying we need to go back that far because obviously technology provides new opportunities. But is there something that people already do that they would say, oh yeah, 
here, here's an app for something I already do. I could use this app instead. Yeah. So, so as I mentioned, there's this social uh, media called Lens uh, that, that I can explore. I, um, so I don't actually, there are the Lens, Lens L E N S. So that's the name of the Lens. protocol. Yeah. But to I'll use it, it yeah, you, you need to use some apps. So I'm not familiar with the, the most popular apps on, on Lens, but you can type Lens clients and you'll find the, the different options. So that would be, uh, that would be one example. Uh, another example, a little bit more old school, is it Steemit? It's basically a, a decentralized medium where you can uh, uh, write article and uh, get paid for them. Uh, that's that's mm. a bit old school. What's that again? Uh, that Steemit, S-T-E-E-M-I-T. Okay, cool. I haven't heard of that one. So the, I haven't heard of either of these. I'm checking them out though, because that yeah. sounds so interesting. Just, that sounds like some, that's something I already do. I already blog. I already uh, use social media. Yeah, that, yeah, that fits yeah. my criteria perfectly. Yes. Yeah, so, so, so the reason why I mean, so, 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 so just to finish with Timmy, it's it's a bit uh-huh. old school. So, and uh, it seems like the project is is not going anywhere. But during the last bull market, it was it was quite active. Uh, and I think like one of the success of this might be might be Lens, but with with more features. Right. So what I'm what I'm trying to figure out as far as this goes, and as far as our audience goes, is you know I look at Web three. And for one, as as somebody who works, you know, in the current web as it's currently constituted, why should I, you know, why should I worry about this or why should I be learning about it? And the other kind of related question is, okay, so you've talked about kind of the blockchain and the ideas behind blockchain and crypto, and then you talked about decentralization. And so what I'd really like to know is before you answer, why should I care? is I'm still trying to get my head around what is this. So how does the blockchain play into the decentralization? Um, is, it, is it just that that common or public good could be a blockchain or is there more to it than that? And then, yeah, how, how does it become the successor to Web2 to the point where I should actually worry about it? So actually, I, I think Web3 is probably a bad name because it makes people feel like it's the next iteration of the web. But... It's not And really, it's not? Okay. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say that. It's more like um, a new, um, an, an evolution of the web. In the future, in your web application, you will have to incorporate the concept of decentralization and you will use some of the technology like blockchain or, okay. uh, or, or IPFS. But uh, if, you, if you look at what is adapt nowadays, you really look and feel... Like like a web two application, except it's more clunky because uh, the the UI. <laughs> U- <laughs> I mean, it's true. It's true. It's uh, it's one of the biggest barriers to adoption. The the U- UI UX is terrible with the, the wallet and and it's just not not as easy to use. Uh, but I think I think it's, it really makes sense for people to get back the ownership over what what they produce their their content, and this is something that you can get with Web Web three. Um, and, and we really see like how social media are, are changing now. Uh, there is, there is really a win of change. So, so I, I really think that in the future, people will demand this more and more. Um, and in terms of finance, um, so, okay, so this one is a little bit more deep, but what, why should you care from a, a financial perspective? This one is more po- political. Um, we have this geo- geopolitical change where, you know, the U.S. is being challenged and the, the, the monetary system is being challenged. And so actually mm-hmm. for all of these countries, crypto is an opportunity to, to challenge the dollar. 
so all the people say, oh, like the U.S. is going to destroy crypto because uh, this, this goes against the interest of the U.S. dollar, etc. I think I think that's not true because we are in this special period, and uh, and so yeah, crypto, crypto as a, there, there is like some some very deep uh, deep topic around crypto. It's not just a technology. All right, so effectively, yeah, it. So so let me just break this down a little bit further. Um, I may get some of this wrong because this is some of just what I've kind of tangentially heard or read or, you know, whatever. But effectively, what I'm figuring out then is, yeah, some of this, like the data might go into some kind of blockchain that may be, a, you know, kind of a public good that decentralizes control over what goes into it. Right. You're talking about blog posts or, you know, Twitter posts or whatever. Um, the other thing that I'm hearing is something ar- around, yeah, wallets and NFTs, where the NFT isn't a picture of uh, a horse and a dragon fighting it out, but it's actually, um, you know, it's an NFT that says you have access to this video series or you have access to this, um, the you know, this conference, right? So a conference ticket could be an NFT, or you know, all the way down to like the deed of your house being an NFT or something like it, um, and so. You know, and I don't know how. I'm not going to make a value judgment on any of this because I really don't have a good feel for, you know, how far, how deep any of this is going to go, or where the change is going to be. But what you're talking about then is, so Web three is going to begin to adopt these things because people don't want to tie their identity to a GitHub or a Facebook or something. They're much more uh, comfortable as they learn about technology to tie it to a wallet that they control. You know, and so you know, identity is going to come out of Web3. Um, you know, some of these resources could be stored in a Web3 format like we talked about. And so as we're talking about Web3, what we're talking about is kind of a layer on top of Web2 that allows you to control your data and your access and your identity to the point where you don't have these centralized systems telling the internet who you are. You kind of control how that happens yourself. And then they just grant you, you know, tokens, permissions, access, NFTs, whatever, to basically set up your experience on the web to be what you want it to be. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's correct. So yes, really the, the blockchain is the core of, of Web3 app. And uh, right. all, yeah, a, a, everything you, you own, your identity, this is not a solved problem actually today. It's the, the launch of a WorldCoin, uh, the project of uh, Sam Altman of the, the White Combinator. Mm-hmm. Uh, Opening, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's probably like it's going to be one of the biggest uh, crypto launch of this year, and uh, th- this is a very, very hard problem. And and so everything, as you said, like all the blockchain layer is based on Web two. Uh, so we, we are really building on top of what already exists. Uh, but the the way it works, the logic of it is is completely different uh, because. Once all the program that's what we call this a spot contract, all the programs that are on the blockchain, once you deploy them, it's impossible to stop them. You cannot say, all right, uh, oh, you don't run anymore. Uh, I- I'm going to pause you. No, they'll deploy and everybody can execute them forever. So it's a completely different uh, a paradigm compared to Web2 apps. Um, and and yeah, so, so I think what's going to happen is you're going to have the, Web two app that will progressively incorporate more and more of this uh, of this Web three concept, 
for most of the Web2 app, it will still stay Web2 app. For example, you take a game. Mm-hmm. Most of the game doesn't need to be on the blockchain. Actually, the blockchain is right. very inefficient. It costs a lot of money. But it's just those core bits that are very important. For example, in-game assets. People want to be able to uh, retain ownership over this because they, they they work so hard for this. Like They, they work for months to level up their, their Diablo players, something like this. So they... Um, yeah, so this is this is how just some bits of the Web two app will be will be put into Web three. That's interesting. So you mentioned then that the experience with this is kind of clunky, right? So, you know, incorporating your wallet per se into or your identity or whatever into your uh, web browser and things like that. Um, yeah, I've done a little bit of that, and yes, it is. It's pretty clunky. So, do you think that what did you call it, Walt Coin or something like that? That that Sam Altman's coming out with wealth coin, yeah. So, so how how do you think these problems get solved in the future? Or do we just not know yet? Okay, so um, the the world of Web three is is super active. Like you, you so all people hear about is like the price of crypto, etc. But actually, the, right. the community is like so resourceful, and you you have a lot of super smart people who are always coming up with solutions. Um, so, for example. Uh, in terms of UI UX, a major improvement uh, this year will be the, uh, the the smart contract wallet. So, which means that your wallet, instead of being mm-hmm. just a private key, will actually be a smart contract. Uh, and this will be uh, part of this will be made possible by uh, a change to the the the, the, uh, the protocol layer of, of Ethereum. Um, and and so, with this new kind of wallet, um, you'll have a lot of feature like uh, a social recovery. For example, if you forgot your private key, then a couple of your friends can help you to unlock your wallet. Uh, a few things that will make it uh, less clunky. Um, so in terms of the UI UX, there was some big progress, but we, we still have uh, we still have some progress to do. Yeah. So just to back up and help people understand, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I really am an amateur at this. I've talked to a few people and I kind of have some idea. But with the wallet being a smart contract, what you're saying is, is your wallet is no longer just a private key that says, hey, I'm going to sign transactions and things like that. But now it's actually a program because a smart contract's a program, if I understand correctly. And so it's going to have those capabilities like recovery and things like that, because there's going to be code that actually executes against your wallet um, as you authorize. Yes, yes, that's correct. And then like you can imagine all sort of uh, innovation for your wallet, like for example, uh, if you want to implement some maximum spending uh, mm-hmm. that's, that can be coded, uh, you can also, uh, in terms of uh, uh, spending authorization, it's also it's also more simple. Um, it, there are like a lot of behavior that that you can embed in the logic. Um, so so that's that's really interesting. And so really, the the two big thing uh, at the infrastructure level are the uh, the UI UX and then the the scaling issue. But the scaling issue is probably going to be solved by by next year. Um, so, mm-hmm. so most of the people right now in the space are, are focused on this at the infrastructure level. However, what we don't have enough of is people who are working on actual use case. Um, and so, a lot of people in Web three are aware of this. And so, in the future, probably you, you're going to have a shift from the infrastructure to the the app layer. Right. So. Sorry, I feel like I feel like I'm monopolizing this conversation. It's so fascinating to me. Um, 
so the question that I have next is, okay, so I'm a web developer, right? Build stuff in, you know, whatever backend. I have a JavaScript front end. Um, you know, people who know me know I'm probably working in Rails on the back end. But, you know, however that goes together, how do I start adding some of these features in, right? So um, let's say that I'm selling courses, which is something that I'm doing. But right now, you know, effectively, I use something like Stripe. They send me a webhook. I know that you own it. But yeah, it'd be kind of interesting to have it where, you know, you have the token that I gave you or something that indicates that you, you know, bought a copy of my course. And so you just forever and ever and ever have that token. And I forever and ever and ever, as long as you come to my site, you get whatever you bought. Um, how do I start building that into my web application? Um, you know, either to be ready for these innovations if they come up in a year um, or to be on the cutting edge if people are interested in that. Yeah, so the most simple way you can do it is by using some uh, existing API. So you have many crypto API that let you access this smart contract and uh, through a, a Web2 interface. Um, okay. So so that's the fastest, but it's not very fun because you, you don't see any of the Web3 stuff. Uh, it's just right. like a regular uh, REST API. So if uh, if you have more yeah, time but and you want to... Yeah, if I'm a business and I just want it in, that's a good way to go, right? Yeah. I don't, yeah, I don't but, need to know how it works. I just want to know that it works. That, great. Yeah, but you, but you just have to know that in this case, it's not decentralized because you are at the mercy of the API. Uh, of whoever and, your pri- provider is. Okay, good to know. Yeah, yeah. Um, but for a lot of people, it's a, it's an okay trade-off. Um, and... Yeah. Then the other solution would be to interface directly with the smart contract. So that's uh, the next level in terms of difficulty. Uh, it's not too difficult, but you'll have to learn a little bit, uh, for example, the, the Solidity programming language to be able to read a smart contract and understand what a function does. Um, and, and then you have to contend with the, um, the limitation of blockchain node. Uh, that are all sort of little issues, all sort of quirks you have to deal with. Um, and and the last the the most advanced level of integration um, of uh, in your in your Web three journey the most advanced stuff you can do is is build a full Web three app including at the protocol level uh, uh, at the at the smart contract layer so you will create your own smart contract uh, and on, on the blockchain that potentially could also interact with other smart contracts uh, but that's really next level and. One of the main caveat in this case is that um, on the blockchain, security is really hard because once you deploy your smart contract, it's impossible to change it. So if there is any bug in your smart contract and, and the hacker find it, it's going to drain all the funds of your user potentially. Uh, so And then you have things like uh, security audits that can be done to reduce this risk, but these are uh, extremely expensive. So as a builder, you have to be aware of this, like uh, that security is a big deal. So in everything you've talked about so far, it sounds like you're exclusively talking about only Ethereum. So when people say Web3, are they generally, ju- they just mean Ethereum? They don't mean a broader concept? They're, it's just like Ethereum is Web3, everything else is something else? Yeah, right. So so in theory, Web3 is everything decentralized. It could be Ethereum, IPFS, etc. But in practice, uh, most of Web3 happen nowadays on, on Ethereum. Um, but people need to understand that Ethereum, so there is a difference between uh, the technology, a technology and a network. So Ethereum is both a technology and a network, but there are a lot of other networks that are based on the technology of Ethereum, uh, mm-hmm. for example, uh, Optimism, Arbitrum, etc. 
but that is the, the dominant uh, technology. You, you can see it a little bit like the, the Linux of Web3. Um, and, and so all the ecosystem that is being built is really uh, uh, around this. I think it's pretty much a, a sellable case. Uh, so yeah, you, you have a lot of other blockchain projects like Solana or who use other tech stack that trying to sell you that the tech stack is better. But at this point, it's like almost irrelevant because the, I mean, how, how do you say, um, uh, the, oh, you know, like this, oh, I, I have, what's the name of this technical word? Like when, when your network has grown, so network effect. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, so at this point, network effect is so big that Ethereum has one already. And if there's any, technological improvement from another project, it will just be incorporated into Ethereum, let's say. Sounds like the whole thing's rather... You ready for this, Steve? Rather ethereal. <laughs> anyway. Uh, sorry. There, there we go. That's what I... That was what I was waiting for. You caught me off guard, sorry. That, that's really interesting, though. But if I wanted to spin up my own network, I could. It's just that then I have to get people to adopt it. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, it's a, I would say it's pretty much pointless now. Uh, there were like countless of alternative blockchain that uh, try to get started in the past with like billions and billions poured in this project. Like for example, EOS. Like EOS was like the biggest ICO of all time. I think they raised something like $4 billion, like absolutely insane. <laughs> and that completely forgotten, like off the map. Uh, so... Yeah, it's pointless to do that, but but so nowadays what's what happened is like so you have this Ethereum is the layer one, and then you have this ecosystem of so-called layer two blockchain. So these are basically scaling solutions for Ethereum. So you can see them as like okay. secondary blockchain and they help to solve the problem of scalability. And now we start to see a new paradigm start to emerge where we start to talk of uh, app-specific chain. So in practice, these are layer two chain connected to Ethereum. Um, mm-hmm. But it's like one chain, one chain per app. We, we don't know yet if it's going to be, if this paradigm is, is going to hold. Um, but yeah, that's that's the, the evolution of things. As somebody from the Web2 world, one of the nice things about Web2 is that all Web2 is compatible with all Web2, right? So if I write a program in Node, the protocol layer defines uh, how how you know, the, the protocol layer is the decentralization, right? So I write a program in Node. It can talk to a program that's written in Go. A program in Go can talk mm-hmm. to a program that's written in Java. You can talk to a program that um, accepts exploits via C, you know. And, and so no matter which stack I use, the thing that makes it decentralized is that there's a common protocol that all of the stacks can talk to each other. I can spin up something that internally has completely different details and, and has its own APIs and has, and then all I have to do is document those APIs and somebody else can consume them. And so we don't have to have perfect agreement. We don't have to all run the exact same protocol. We don't have to all, you know, it, it's not like a hive mind. Every everybody can operate independently, but then can come together and exchange. And it and it it sounds like well, if everybody just adopts Ethereum, then that kind of works. But that would be like saying that everybody everybody has to use uh, I don't know, like the GitHub API is the only API, and you can't have any other APIs. 
or, or maybe that's where the the uh, well, but this would only be for money because there's there's the whole decentralized exchange, which is like the idea that you can have different APIs and they can exchange stuff. But then I think that only works for money. So is there is there anything in the Web three space that is that that has that quality that you can make independent decisions and then resolve what that means in a relationship later? I don't know if that makes sense. So. So a smart contract in Ethereum can only talk to another smart contract on Ethereum. So if you have another blockchain and another smart contract there, uh, it cannot talk to it directly. Uh, now there are solutions that exist like uh, bridges, but the problem with bridges is that they are not decentralized. We don't know yet how to do a decentralized bridge. And also bridges are more prone to hacks. Um, so this isn't a solved problem right now. If you have want to have compatibility, it has to be within the same blockchain. Um, now, what happened with the uh, with with this layer two is that there are ways basically to have a smart contract in different layer two layer two chain, and then to somehow um, lift some part of the state in the layer one, so that you, you can still benefit from the trust uh, of the layer above you. Uh, so these are the some kind of integration that are being done, but between between blockchain, the communication is uh, is more difficult. Um, this this being said, um, in in the future, uh, it, when the Ethereum 2.0 will be completely rolled out, uh, the architecture will be with shards. So you have different some sort of mini blockchain that. Basic that are able to communicate uh, through uh, a central a central layer. So things are being done to to advance in this direction, but this is complicated. You saying the word shard is good because definitionally, if something doesn't scale, it's not decentralized. That's one of the you know the like the three litmus test tenets of decentralization is that it scales. And currently, I've not heard of anything in the blockchain space that scales. So if that actually happens and they introduce a form of sharding that allows nodes to act independently and reconcile later, that brings us a lot closer to what I was talking about earlier. So that's cool. So, so yeah, yeah it's, um, scaling is a really very exciting issue, uh, a topic. You, you have different uh, layer to this. So first, at the protocol level, so Ethereum 2.0 with the, the different shards. And then... The, the next part of it is all this uh, so-called layer two blockchain. Um, so that scale even more. And so Vitalik Buterin said that once Ethereum 2.0 will be implemented, plus with this layer two uh, scaling solution, potentially, he, uh, so I hope I'm not making a mistake. I think he said that it could scale potentially to 100,000 100, transactions per second, uh, which is more than even uh, visa processes per, per second. Uh, so. It has a lot of uh, there are a lot of things that are that are being done in this direction, um, but but the general idea is that yeah, like not well, you won't ha- you won't have one giant blockchain that has absolutely all the data. Uh, part of the data will be in in lower level, and we will only go in upper level uh, when we want to. Uh, basically, when we want to when we have some some issue. Uh, for example, if, if someone disagree with a computation that was done at a lower level, then we can go at an upper level to basically set, settle the case, like for 
like for cooks, for example. So one of the one of the reasons that almost none of the blockchains other than Dogecoin and Dash have been usable, well, and Litecoin have been usable for money is that the transaction fees on Ethereum and Bitcoin and uh, you know, m- most of the ones that get the hype because of quote unquote investment, the transaction fees are so exorbitantly high that you'd be paying you know, 50 to 100 times more than what the product costs. If I wanted to buy a bottle of water, but it cost me $50 or $60 or $70 in transaction fees, which I think has been the case with both Bitcoin and Ethereum. Uh, you know, obviously, I can't, I can't afford to pay a $50 transaction fee for a you know, 79 cent bottle of water. Um, so if this thing happens with the sharding, does that mean that the transaction fees will get to a point that Ethereum could be used for money? Yeah, so that was one of the main problems of the uh, last bull market. So with this architecture, with where you have all these different shards and all these different layer two, um, basically, especially with the at the layer two level, you uh, you trade security for less expensive transaction fees. Um, so now for a lot of new projects, they are not even deployed on Ethereum; they are deployed directly on layer two blockchain like Polygon, Arbitrum, uh, etc. And the transaction fees are much less. Um, so. Yeah, in the future, uh, this is really a direction where it's going like way smaller blockchain that aren't the main blockchain, but are connected to the main blockchain. So that, well, that's, that's, if I have to wait for quote unquote confirmations, I can't spend the money, right? Because if I'm going to, if I'm going to walk up to you and I'm going to scan your QR code and I'm going to pay you the equivalent of $5, for me to stand there and wait for the next hour, for all these confirmations to come through before I can say, okay, you got the $5. I didn't cheat you out of your money. You didn't cheat me out of anything like, like it worked. So if, if you have to take away the security in order to have lower fees, does that mean that you know, like we just have to wait for a million transactions? So I won't know if you got the money until tomorrow or like, what's the deal there? So you, you don't take away the security, you just reduce it, but it's still very safe and it's still extremely difficult to attack a layer two blockchain. I think to this date, we haven't heard of any hack like this. Uh, it, but if you are transacting a very large amount of money, let's say like millions, perhaps that you is still advised to do it on the layer one. So depending, you can choose the level of security that you want based on the importance of the transaction. Okay. So do, do you know what, what the transactions resolve in for uh, Ethereum? In general, right now, is it is it you used to have to wait an hour? Do you have to wait ten minutes? So a block confirmation is a uh, fifteen second. Um, really? Now, yeah, fifteen second. Uh, for so if you if you really want to make sure that there won't be any chain reorganization, you want to wait a few uh, a few blocks. But that's that's quite fast. And for layer okay. two, I think depending on the chain, but it's, it's even faster than this. Can be a few seconds. Okay, so was I was I just completely mistaken? Because I I actually have not really followed Ethereum, um, but it w- was Ethereum. Did it used to be like you had to wait an hour, and now they've changed it so that you only have to wait, you know, fifteen thirty seconds? Or no, I think you are referring to Bitcoin. Uh, for Bitcoin, yes, it was advised to wait for a certain number of confirmation that was about one hour. Okay. 
Interesting. So that's cool. Good deal. Well, um, unless there's something specific to building distributed apps using some of these technologies, um, I'm kind of inclined to push us toward picks. But I don't want to leave anybody high and dry if you have another question. I do want to know how does this how does this apply to JavaScript? Because this sounds this sounds like stuff that is happening probably in a C server application that that you know some some group of people are running, um, and and not something that I could I could like use from a web page, for example. Mm, so, if you're a JavaScript guy and you want to build on the web three, it's easy. You you just build an integration from the front end. So as I said before, by either by using an API or by integrating with the smart contract directly. And there, there are some uh, libraries that you can use where you, that allow you to interact with the smart contract really, really easily. Uh, so it's, it's just an API call. And actually, so generally you won't run your own Ethereum node, but generally you will use a blockchain API. Uh, so th- they're like basically two levels of a blockchain API. Either you use something really high level where it's the, it's the REST API uh, that does a very specific action, or it's like a low-level blockchain API that just allow you to interact with any smart contract, uh, but you have to tell it exactly, okay, which smart contract, which function, which argument. But it's basically like, like calling a function and providing argument. It's the same thing. So is it like I'm connecting to Coinbase to do this, or is it I, I get a list of Ethereum nodes and I and I connect them to them directly or how does that yeah so so you you can use a bunch of a blockchain api like for example infra is one of them quick node uh alchemy there are a bunch of this and they run ethereum node for you uh and they expose the web uh, web to interface to you but with the same exact endpoint as the ethereum node so for you it's actually transparent but if you want, if you're courageous, you can run your own Ethereum node, but it's a lot of work because it has high requirement for your machine. I think the blockchain now is like something like one terabyte or something like this. Not every machine can sync this. So, But there, there is a lot of work that is being done for so-called light client, which would allow, to, uh, which, which can be run from mobile phone, for example. Um, so, yeah, mm. so... That's, I mean, that's going to, as that, you know, being a terabyte, that pushes almost every home user out. Most laptops aren't sold with a terabyte of storage. That's, yeah. So the, if people are interested in that, they need to, to check out the um, uh, light, uh, light, what's the technical term for that? Uh, lightweight client. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, there are like a, a new generation of clans that are being built for a uh, um, smaller device. Yeah. Uh, but th- this is really what I love about blockchain. It's like you have all these problems and in each of these area with the big problem, like scalability, UI, UX, the problem of the uh, Ethereum node that requires too much, uh, too much, uh, very powerful hardware. You, you have a lot of people working on each of these problems and progress are being made. So that's, a, that's fascinating. Very cool. All right, now I am going to push us to wrap up. Um, but uh, Julian, if people have questions, if they have, uh, if they get stuck, I mean, what what's a good resource? Yeah, so they can go to, to find you my... and to yeah. Sorry. Yeah, so they they can check out my channel, eat the blocks. Um, 
on YouTube and they can also reach out to me on Twitter. Very cool. What What's your handle on Twitter? Uh, it's a J Klepach, J K L K L E P A T C H P T C H. Sorry. Yeah. Very cool. All right. Well, let's go ahead and do our picks. Um, AJ, you want to start some picks? Yeah. Let's see here. Uh, first thing I'm I'm going to pick is Dash. Uh, I've mentioned before I work for Dash Incubator. That's actually that is be, that is transitioned to becoming my my primary source of income. So uh, I have an extreme sense of bias in that. But I, if any, if anything, I, I, I don't I don't believe that blockchains are a solution for basically anything but money, and not that they necess- that necessarily a blockchain has to be a solution to money. But that there are, you know, that people talk about the general's problem and yada yada. There are certain things that a a blockchain is not the worst possible solution for getting consensus over a group of untrusted parties. I would like to see uh, scaling blockchains, so that wouldn't be a chain; it would be a tree. But the Git, basically, what Git does. Git is perfectly verifiable from one hash to another hash. You can work asynchronously. You can come back and reconcile things later, like the whole idea of the PR process, whatever. But, okay, all that aside, I think that that I'm not aware of any more work or effort that's gone into making it easy to spend an international currency than what Dash has done. And in terms of for developers, You'll notice when you look at these libraries, almost all of them are based on work that's 10, 15 years old, older than cryptocurrencies are themselves, of course, because a lot of these libraries were created, you know, circa 2009, 2010, 2011, and they were relying on JavaScript cryptography libraries because web crypto wasn't a thing yet that were built in, you know, 2006, 2007, whatever. So there's there's a there's a lot of stuff out there that you, you wanna you wanna pull in something to generate a wallet address. You're pulling in four megabytes of legacy code, and uh, with Dash we do have code that has been written within the last two years for wallets, addresses, key signing, uh, using Noble Crypto, which Noble Crypto is one of the so so as you may know. A lot of the cryptography in, you know, they say don't roll your own crypto, but a lot of the blockchain people just decided to do it anyway. And they came up with, they either used algorithms that are obscure or they came up with their own stuff. And that's where a lot of the security vulnerabilities have come from. But, but over time, uh, there have been some actually audited crypto libraries that are audited for security. And Noble Crypto is, is one of those. So anyway, there's, there's a collection of tools I'll provide provide a link to that we have that if you're interested in the money aspect, there's some people that want to do the DAP thing and all that. But if you're interested in the money aspect, um, I I would not recommend investing in Dash or any cryptocurrency because that that defies the whole idea of money because you don't, you don't, I mean, people short the dollar or short the euro or short whatever, and they, you know, they run investment scams, but that's different. That's, that's in, that's a different category 
than than money like i'm gonna go buy a bottle of water or a pack of gum or a video game or a skateboard or you know uh go to a flea market or a mops you know what whatever so i think that dash has a good shot at actually fulfilling that niche of money and i'll give a link to some of the the tools that we have they're they're lightweight they run in the browser they run in node they use web crypto uh they use audited uh cryptography libraries that it's basically the best of the bunch and uh yeah so i i'll plug that that's that's what i'll do and then I'm going to give a shout out to Harbor Freight because, dang, it's just convenient. It's just so convenient. I, I'm, I'm so glad I, I discovered Harbor Freight. It's like, in a lot of cases, cheap, crappy tools that are going to break when you push them beyond their recommended limits. But in a lot of cases, they're things that just work surprisingly well for a couple bucks less. And, and it's nice that they kind of, Harbor Freight has stuff that nowhere else has, like a motorcycle lift. You can't get that at Lowe's. And, and they have, they have the kind of stuff that, that like as a, as a, a dude working in your garage, they have the kind of stuff that you need. Um, and, and I don't quite know how to explain it, but it's like, it's very different from Home Depot or Lowe's. The selection is much smaller, which is probably why their prices are less. They don't have to supply every possible thing. They give you a lot of the tools that are going to break often anyway, because they're the type of tools that get abused a lot anyway. Um, and I just, yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm happy to have discovered Harbor Freight and, and the, the, I don't have one super close by. I go a little south or a little north. I can get to one and, uh, that's nice. So I'm going to give a shout out to Harbor Freight. So you, you mentioned cheap tools. I do have to say that I have never bought a tool at Harbor Freight that broke that I couldn't just take back. They, they're, they're always good about that. So. Yeah, I bought a motorcycle lift and it broke, and they won't take it back. Oh, okay. well, the, what broke was the handle. It's a, it's an ATV lift, and the handle that you use to push and pull it around that oh, broke okay. off. I could have paid thirty dollars more or gotten the warranty. That on their on their things like their screwdrivers, all of their screwdrivers and their wrenches, I think all the Pittsburgh brand comes with a life yeah lifetime warranty. You just take it back. But basically, anything that costs more than ten dollars you have to buy the warranty on. So if you're looking between the thing that's $150 and things $180, never ever buy the thing that's less expensive when you get into their stuff that's $100 and the spread is, you know, $20. Yep. Yeah, I tell my, when my wife asks where I'm going, if I'm going to Harbor Freight, I tell her I'm going to the toy store. So, um, and, and I'm not kidding. I really do. I tell her we're going to the toy store. Usually taking my father-in-law. Going to the toy store. Don't spend too much money. All right. Uh, Steve, what are your picks? Oh, or did you have something else? AJ. Okay, go ahead, Steve. Uh, I will say, following up there, that Harbor Freight is really cool. Around uh, where I live, it's right down the street from Home Depot. So, yeah, uh, same here. So, yeah, I've gone in there before and found some stuff for cheaper. It's yeah, a good place. Um Shoot, AJ left. I have a pick that uh, I know he will appreciate. So, oh, here's AJ. Okay, so earlier in the episode, I called AJ a, a term, and he was slightly offended. And that was erudite. Uh, AJ, I thought you would like to know this: that the term erudite means having or showing great knowledge or learning. Oh, uh, cool. So, if you describe someone as erudite, you mean that they have have or show great academic knowledge. <laughs> 
So uh, I feel like this is a catch twenty two because an erudite should know that. Right. Well, I didn't say (laughs) I was. Oh, that's true. Yeah. You know, it's like the, uh, you know, when I knocked on the door uh, to visit my psychic and she said, who is it? And I left because, you know, she should know that. But uh, (laughs) anyway. So uh, with that definition, we'll move on to the the dad jokes of the week. Um, I went into a pet shop the other day and I wanted to, uh, you know, buy a goldfish. Say, can I buy a goldfish? And the guy said, yeah, do you want an aquarium? I said, I don't care what star sign it is. You know, uh, if anybody's ever heard the great uh, pun guy's name was Kip Adada. Uh, he had a great song called uh, Wet Dreams. That was all fish puns like that. Classic song. If you ever want to look it up on YouTube. And then he had another one called Life in the Slaw Lane. That was all vegetable puns. I'll have to pick those. Yeah, I'll, I'll make those a couple picks too. Uh, back to the dad jokes. Uh, so simple question, why should you never brush your teeth with your left hand? <clears throat> because a toothbrush works better. On that one, you got me once on Twitter. I forgot about it. and You got me again. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, you know, it's like the one where I was, I was washing the car with my son the other day and he said, dad, can't we use a sponge instead? And then, uh, finally, uh, going back to the psychic, I actually had an appointment next week with my psychic, but then she called and told me I wouldn't be able to make it. So that was a different one than the first one who didn't know who I was when I knocked. So anyway, those are my picks, Chuck. Awesome. All right, I'm going to throw in some picks. So um, I usually pick a board game or a card game or something like that. Um, I just barely, um, oh, what was that? It's called Sky Joe. My mom had it. Uh, we went up and um, we were hanging out at uh, the Hebrew Valley Camp, which is another pick I'm going to put in there. But uh, here, let me look it up real quick so I can tell you the uh, complexity score on it. Um, but anyway, so Sky Joe is kind of like um, it's kind of like uh, gnoming around. I picked that one. Or um, golf, if you've played golf with just regular cards. So with Sky Joe, you have a field of 16 cards. And if you get three in a row, then you can get rid of them, right? So if you have three tens or three eights, you know, diagonally or horizontally, you can uh, get rid of those and it counts as zero on your tableau. Uh, For the rest of it, yeah, you're just trying to get the lowest uh, value cards and whoever has the lowest um, so whoever, when somebody flips over their last card, um, everybody else gets one more turn to try and get their score lower. And then you get your score. Um, but if you go out first and you're not the lowest, then there was some penalty you got like. Your ne- your negative score flipped to positive and you got penalized double or something like that. Anyway, so it was fun. Uh, you play two to six players. We played with four or five, and that seemed to be pretty good. Fast game, you know, 15, 20, 30 minutes. Um, Sky Joe, actually, or uh, Board Game Geek actually says it can go to 45 minutes. I'm assuming that's with six, six people. Um, and it has a board game weight of 1.08. Um, so that's a very, very simple game. And uh, this is one that I think she had like the seven-year-olds and stuff playing it. So Anyway, it's Sky Joe, the word Sky J-O. Um, it, I guess it's been out for a while, but 
uh, yeah, fun game. And then, um, you know, I'm going to pick another game because I played this one last last Wednesday with my buddies. Um, I'll have to look it up because I can't remember what it's called. Um, but I'll pick it in a second. So Heber Valley Camp, um, we uh, we went out there. They have cabins you can stay in. And, you know, they have, I mean, it's not proper camping, right? Because you're, you stay in a cabin, it's not air conditioned, but that's, you know, they have bunks in it uh in the cabins and you know a fire pit and uh, a pavilion for you to eat under and uh, they provide camp stoves and in the pavilion there's actually a refrigerator so you can put your food in it right so uh anyway um that's all to say that um yeah it was a ton of fun so uh we Yeah, we stayed there and that that was cool. And then uh, a couple other picks. So Heather, my wife, Heather and I, uh, on Tuesday, I think, we decided to go do a double feature, which means we bought uh, two movie tickets each. We went and saw uh, Sound of Freedom and then we saw Indiana Jones and The Dial of Destiny. And the Indiana Jones, I mean, I have to say, I was disappointed by Crystal Skull. I just wanted more... It it didn't have all of the feels that I got from the original two or three, depending on how you rate that, uh, Indiana Jones's. And this one had a little bit more of kind of the nostalgia in it, but I didn't think the plot was particularly strong. And the other thing is, is that um, half the fun was watching Indiana Jones do these like probability-defying stunts. And Harrison Ford's like 80-something. And so, you know, you don't see that as much. And, you know, the, the woman that was in it that was his goddaughter and, you know, the little kid, you just don't see as much of that either. And so it, it was good. Like it was, I wasn't disappointed at what we spent to go see it, but it's definitely not of the caliber of the original ones that I grew up watching. Um, as far as Sound of Freedom goes, it was amazing. Um, and, and it really, I mean, so I have to say some parts of it were hard to watch. Right, because mm-hmm. you, you know, I, I was yeah. crying through most of the movie. Yeah, they don't show you like the, the you know, but but they kind of you know you can see it coming, and then they go to the next scene. You know, the really what would have been a graphic part of the movie, you know, yeah, where, that where scene they're actually where abusing up, those kids, or when he's typing up the transcript at, at the beginning of the right. video. Yeah, so like, they don't expose don't you to a lot of that, yeah. but you you can see it and feel it coming, and I'll tell you. Um, you know, I've, I've donated to Operation Underground Railroad a couple of times and I've gone and looked into them and they're a solid group and I'm glad the movie came out. If you haven't seen it, you really need to go see it. Um, I, I would say it's like Schindler's List and that you need to see it, but you should not want to see it. Yeah. And I think it's, I think compared to Schindler's List, this is actually a, a, it's, it's a harder hitter. Right. Now, what amazes yeah. me about this movie, though, is the blowback that it's getting. Oh, this is made up. This isn't really true. You're just trying to tug it hard. Weird, because I watched the movie and I thought that maybe yeah. there was going to be some sort of like, you know, message driven. Like right. they're, they're going to have yeah. really cheesy dialogue to yeah. to say like, and the government's doing it. But there was none of that. It was like a yeah. Colombian drug lord. Yeah. It, it, it's, so. it's like the guy. Yeah, it's it's it just blew my mind. Yeah, but, but it has it has Jim Caviezel in it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, 
it's pretty close to how I've, because I've heard some interviews with Tim Ballard that came out, I guess, after the movie was made, but before it came out. And mm-hmm. this seems to stick pretty close to how his operations run. So anyway, um, so I'm going to pick it. I think people ought to go see it. Like, yeah, I think AJ kind of nailed it. Um, you know, it it's about a topic you really don't want to know more about, but I it, it really makes it real for you. Um, the I also wouldn't take your kids. Um, I'm just going to put and, that out there. And I think if you're a single person, you'd you'd have a dramatically different experience than if you have kids. Oh yeah, because because I have a son and daughter that are a little bit younger than the kids in the film, right. and I just like I I can't even think about it. I'm I'm going to tear yeah. up just thinking about it. Yeah, I have an eight year old. I think the girl in it is ten, eleven, um, and I have an eleven year old yeah. son. But um, yeah, I mean. That too, right? You know, I'm watching that dad and I'm just sitting there thinking, I would never give up, right? It'd be like, this this guy, all he does is look for his kids. Anyway. You know, um, a number of a number of years ago, Chuck, there was a movie that came out. It was called Human Trafficking uh, that had Donald Sutherland and Mira Sorvino in it. And mm-hmm. um, it's probably been 10, 15 years. Uh, and it was, the, the plot uh, was similar uh, it was that there was a, an American couple that was living in or vacationing in Southeast Asia somewhere. I don't remember where. Um, and it was about uh, them tracking this, you know, uh, what's the term you want to syndicate, whatever, down and and getting this girl back as well as, as other ones. And so the plot was, was very similar. And there was also a scene in there at the beginning that I, I want to say was somewhere Southeast Asia. I don't remember the specific country where um, it showed a family literally to get by had to sell one of the little girls, you know, to this syndicate that they were tracking throughout the movie. So it was a heartbreaking movie. And I remember when it came out and it, I think it might've been made for TV, but it didn't get quite the uh, play that, that sound of freedom has gotten, but it's very similar. It's a really good movie. If you ever want to watch that as well. Yep. So I'm going to pick one more uh, in this vein. And then I will talk about the other game because I found it on Amazon. So the other film, this is related because it is also about Tim Ballard and Operation Underground Railroad. It's called Operation Toussaint. And it's uh, it's another mission that Tim went on. This one was done, it was commissioned and done by Russell Brunson, if you know who he is. Uh, he's actually owns ClickFunnels, um, started ClickFunnels. He's the marketing genius behind that. Um, and uh, like every year at their conference, they donate thousands of dollars to Operation Underground Railroad. Um, but yeah, it's it's another, it's a documentary, right? So it it actually, you know, it's not a dramatization like it is in uh, Sound of Freedom, but it's, it's also really, really good. It came out in 2018, I think. And uh, you can get it on Amazon. You can rent it for like two bucks. Um, but uh, it's also really good. So if, you, if you're looking for a little bit more, you want to know more about the organization or about human trafficking. Um, and if I remember right, um, I don't know if they, I don't remember if they actually found the, it's been a long time since I've seen it. Um, if they found the, the kid or anyway, but it, it's really good and it goes into how they actually operate. So uh, I'm going to pick those. And then, yeah, just going back to a more lighthearted, uh, topic. So the other board game is called Living Forest. Um, I actually played it. It's funny because it's like ages eight plus, blah, blah, blah. I played it with two 40 year old, you know, 40 ish old dudes like me. And uh, 
we had a really, really good time. It was, it was awesome. Um, effectively, what you're doing is um, there's like this fire spirit that's generating fire and um, you're trying to build up the animals and tr- trees in your forest uh, faster than the other nature spirits who are the other players. And so um, you place uh, trees, you place animals, the animals give you resources, you know, to place more trees or get more water or, you know, so you can put out fires. And anyway, when you get 12 tokens of the same kind, the game ends. Uh, Everybody else, uh, you know, gets to finish out the round. And then um, anybody who got 12 tokens um, is considered having one, I guess. But then there's a tiebreaker and that's just all of the tokens that count toward your... So if you have 12 Lotus tokens, you know, and somebody else has 12 fire tokens, then you count up your fire tokens and your Lotus tokens and your trees and right. And, and whoever has the highest score wins, that's the tiebreaker. So um, anyway, it was super fun. Really enjoyed it. Um, let me find it on... Uh, it came out two years ago, and it has a board game weight of 2.21. So, yeah, pretty run-of-the-mill game. It really wasn't that complicated. Um, had a good time. It says 8 plus. Oh, it says 10 plus on Board Game Geek. I was going to say, I don't know if my 8-year-old could play it without help. Um, I mean, she could play it, and she'd understand the concepts, but I don't think she could win it. So, anyway... Uh, those are my picks. Sorry, I went so long, but I got feedback on one of my picks. Uh, Julian, what are your picks? No, okay, so picks can be like anything you anything. like recently. Yeah, yeah, all anything right. at all. All right, so I became addicted to a series on Netflix. Uh, it's called Manifest. Uh, it's a, mm-hmm. a plane, a plane that takes off and uh, disappear, and then they land five years later. Uh, no, nobody knows why, and so yeah, that's the main mystery, and then like the like subplot, and yeah, and um, so I, you know, as as a YouTuber, so like when I when I watch uh, uh, videos on on Netflix, I always like analyze things and like try to try to see what I can learn from my from my own videos. So there are like two purposes to this, like entertainment, educational. <laughs> In the three thousand, I think it's called. What about the three thousand? It's it's very similar. It's very similar to this this show. People uh, disappear and they come back later, and then they they have special abilities and they're trying to figure out what happened. I was just wondering if you've heard that show. I think it's called the three thousand. But you might also like that since you like. Um, yeah. Uh, oh, I already forgot the name. But what's that one called? M. Uh, what's the one you just said? What's that one called again? Manifest. Manifest, yeah. Since you like Manifest, you might like. I think it's called the three thousand, or maybe it's yeah. the thirty three hundred, or it's it's some it's got it's some number, the forty four hundred. Mm, okay, I'm gonna check it out. Thanks. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah forty four hundred. That's what it's called. Yeah, but it's it's funny how they they catch your attention. Like I I, I watched the uh, I watched uh, maybe like the first half of the episode like a few months ago, but I wasn't paying attention. And then the second time I watched. Like I became aware of that, the, the the mystery, and then you're like you hooked. You're like, oh, like why, wh- wh- why you disappear, and and that's it. That, that's how they hook you for the whole thing. 
All right. Yeah. Thanks for that. Looks like we lost Chuck for some reason. Not sure what happened there. Technical difficulties, I guess. Uh, thank you for coming on, Julian. I think we already covered where people can reach you and, and give you money and yell at you on Twitter, right? Wait, yes. wait, no. No, we forgot to ask him where his QR code is. Oh, so yeah. So we can scan him money. <laughs> no. Oh, what is my favorite pick for of crypto? I have none. <laughs> okay, you're a generalist. All right, good deal. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Julian. It's probably now about, uh, what, three o'clock in the morning, your time. So, uh, yeah. All right, guys. So, yeah, we'll thanks, for, thanks for having me on the show. All right. Have a good day. Bye. All right. And yeah. we will talk to you all next time on JavaScript Jabber. Adios.